This is the Geeky Waffle Podcast, formerly Geeky Girl Gab. I'm Candace, and with me is my Star Wars partner, Bree. Hi. And today on the show, we have Ty from What the Force Podcast. Hey, Ty. Hi. Hello. So happy to be here. Yes, especially for this movie. We're talking about episode five, The Empire Strikes Back. And this is my favorite movie, period. Like in all of existence. Do yeah. either of you guys feel that way? Yeah, no, I, I have to concur with you. I think it's very solid. Like, I don't know if it's my favorite movie of all time, but it's definitely like one of my favorite Star Wars movies. And it's it's just really, really, really solid. It's, it's a tight film, like for so many reasons. <laughs> Do you remember the first time you saw this movie? Or has it all blurred together in a Star Wars blur? <laughs> yeah, I kind of I came on to Star Wars as a fan, like as a, you know, like as a honest to God fan pretty late. So I had seen Empire Strikes Back many times because I loved, I love, um, you know, popcorn flicks. I love blockbusters and stuff when I was growing up and I love pop culture. So I knew a lot about Star Wars and stuff. Um, so I think I saw it when I was... I, when I had when I was exposed to like the prequels, um, I watched the prequels. I watched the last. I watched like um, the third film in theaters, and then I was sold on it. I loved it, and I went and I watched the original trilogy. Um, and like honestly, like I didn't just watch it on television or anything. Like I was like, oh, I want to go watch, you know, the original trilogy and see like how this all happened. Um, so I probably was. Oof, I probably was like 12 or 13 maybe uh, when I really got serious about watching them and not just again like not just watching it like when it was on television like TCM or something I don't know not no not TCM uh what was like the like there was like an action movie channel or something like that that would play it often I but don't remember there were a few and yeah. then like FX or something you know something like that but um I honestly watched it probably in my teen years. So, Bree, do you, is it you mentioned New Hope? You were like, kind of just thrown into it as a kid. Like it would be on TV. Yeah, like my it. my dad really liked the movies. So I think he, I think he was like, oh, hero's journey. Like it's your time to watch the series. I guess I don't know. It was sort of like thrown into like, oh, you have to see this. It's iconic film, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, so we probably did like a marathon at some point, maybe not like back to back to back, but, um, I remember just watching it with my dad and like getting like so invested in like the story and like wanting to like beat people up with lightsabers as I was like, <laughs> I don't want to do that and be a Jedi and be all cool. Okay, the reason I always ask this question is because I vividly remember every time I've seen a new Star Wars movie. Like, all nine of them. I remember the first time I've seen them. <laughs> um, it was 1997, January. Yes, I have dates. Wow. It was when the special editions came out. It was the 20th anniversary. And my dad took me to see A New Hope. And I loved it. I loved it so much. And then he told me, well, you know, there's two more movies. And I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> so we went to, back in the day, this place was called Fiction and Flicks. It was like a block local blockbuster. And I was like, I would like all the Star Wars movies, please. And I got my sister. I felt really bad because I just wanted to see what happened next. And I didn't want to run a new hope because I had just seen it. I was like, no, no, you can watch Empire. It's fine. 
And we just watched it on VHS and we both just fell in love with Yoda because we were children who loved the Muppets. And it was just this epic story. And I love the romance and I love the adventure. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it has something for everyone. Yeah, the... The I would say uh, growing up, the first three like original trilogy films kind of melded together for me uh, just because I saw them as one story because I had originally been exposed to the prequel trilogy, which I also saw as like one story. So that was it was odd. Like now, you know, when once I became a big fan of the sequel trilogy after watching The Last Jedi, like really getting back into it and delving into the myth of it all, I started to see, oh, wait, wait, those were different films. Like, and actually breaking out what happened in which film was bizarre to me because I had always seen it as, you know, as as one big film. And, you know, I, I used to say, oh, yeah, no, Star Wars, like re- referencing Star Wars for me was like any of the Star Wars all of the Star Wars. Um, now it's a little different because, you know, we get older and we comp- we complicate things and we have rankings and stuff like that. Uh, but, you know, Empire Strikes Back has, has got all the stuff that I latched onto uh, from a very early age that I thought was essential Star Wars. You know, like you mentioned Yoda. And, like, there's so much with that whole, the whole thing of, like, Luke coming into Dagobah and landing in a place that was all natural and all plants and marshes and water and like no technology. And for a film that was, or for a story that was like supposed to be in space, it was supposed to be Star Wars and to have like your main character like kind of isolated from all of that, no technology and his ship sinks into the, into the water, like that was so cool. It was so different. And I loved fantasy and stuff. So that was so fantastical to me because that was is so different. <laughs> oh, well, the interesting thing during those Dagobah scenes is like Mark Hamill was the only person a person on the cast list. Mm. The rest were crew. And he like he had a, he had the Yoda puppet. And it's really funny the um the director, Ian Kirshner, he said that he would talk to the puppet instead of Frank Oz. Yeah. And they would have to remind him, like, no, he's not real. Because he was just so lifelike. Like, just looking at his ears move, his expression, mm-hmm. it just felt so real, like, especially as a child. Practicals are better than CGI. Agree. I will never stop saying it. <laughs> that Yoda mad little puppet is my favorite thing on the planet. And yeah. I will I will admit this when I was younger and watch it, I was like weirded out by him. <laughs> like, oh, no, I, I thought was he like, was adorable. Well, no, I was just like, this guy's crazy. Like, that was my thought. I was like, what's going on? But now, like, when I revisit this movie as often as I do, he's my favorite part. Yeah. Hands down. I was just like, yes, Yoda. I love you. He's such a big part of my childhood because my dad constantly quoted Yoda growing up <laughs> and it's just it's something I would do too oh yeah. something when I was rewatching this it's just hilarious that Yoda pretty much just trolls Luke for the first like 15 minutes of their <laughs> meeting and I was wondering how long do you think he planned this 
to be like, I'm going to test this guy. I'm going to build this character. Bree, you're an actress. Well, remember exactly what Yoda said. He was like, this boy isn't patient. He wanted to test his patience because I think he was afraid of getting another Anakin on his hands. Mm -hmm. And even like before that was established as like the backstory and whatnot, it's interesting how Yoda's character like came together as like this wise old mentor figure. And again, like in in the setting that they were in and the kind of unlikely mentor that he was, it's not, it's not very typical. Like, it's not like, like, okay, if you were to look at Star Wars as, you know, some people look at Star Wars as very much influenced by, like, Eastern mythology and, you know, samurais and training and that kind of stuff. And a lot of that happens in this film. However, your typical older, wiser mentors in that sort of storyline still have like this power that, that that like physical power and like you know that wise ability like wise old man graying man kind of thing it's very different than what we get with yoda yoda is a muppet like he's not <laughs> he is he's from henson yeah like i remember i grew up with a like tm a tmnt like a t- teenage mutant Ninja turtle you know a puppet type Style oh hell yeah. yeah! I saw them live in concert. <laughs> oh my god, Brie, of course you did. <laughs> yeah, I did. But I thought, like, you know, like it was real to me. Like it felt, or not real, but you know, you felt the the magic with that if you were a kid during that time. But but yeah, the the attitude, the personality that they gave Yoda, it wasn't that it was. Uh, it wasn't that it was different or weird or whatever it was just like this melding of different types of archetypes and they just made it so believable and like frank oz was able to play him like so believable and so real it's it's very again it adds to that mythical layer of star wars that makes it so pervasive and it makes it last forever yeah going off what you're saying is like he is different from you know your average mentor types and that kind of helps build the mythos of what the Jedi were because this is before the prequels we just had seen Obi-Wan so we really had no idea what a Jedi really was and it was interesting to see he says wars does not make one great and Mm -hmm. it's just trying to teach Luke and teach the audience that Jedi yes they fight but that's not what they're all about yeah, that's actually, it's funny that you mentioned that. Obi-Wan was that kind of figure of the very East Asian, uh, you know, twer- like the, the, you know, like the guys with the with the long mustaches that they twirl, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Kill Bill thing or whatnot. You know, that's all that's all echoing an older archetype from those older films. But, um, but yeah, Obi-Wan was kind of that character. And so, and again, it's funny, like the behind the scenes stuff is interesting. And I think George Lucas said, I couldn't, I killed, I killed uh, Obi-Wan too early. (laughs) So he was like, oh, crap, I have to send (laughs) Luke to like a different mentor, but he has to be an unlikely mentor. Like he has to be somebody that we don't see coming. So yeah, it's an interesting little, I think they really stumbled upon that one a lot. And like Irvin Kirshner, like you mentioned, like he was a, he was a layer there that allowed for different types of creativity to come into the the story. So, 
Yeah. Something interesting about Kirshner was like he had no interest in doing a movie with special effects. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because he was just like, that's not my my deal. But George Lucas talked to him and explained to him that this movie was more about like the characters than mm-hmm. just the hardware. So he spent several months working on the scripts, pushing the writers to humanize the characters. Something that we've talked about Lucas not being the best at. <laughs> He's not. And I think that's why, like, even as a child, this is my favorite movie, is because I just love these characters so much. Mm-hmm. And they're so real to me. And mm-hmm. y- you understand each of their actions. Oh, I was going to say, because I think um, this one, really, they follow a great um, storytelling process. It kind of goes back to A Hero's Journey, Joseph Campbell. And Ty, kind of what you were saying where you love Dagobah of that natural aspect instead of being technology with the her- hero's journey, um, kind of the next step is removal um, from community and you are placed in a meditation to get away from everything. And that's what really is interesting because I also think that Yoda is a juxtaposition of that meditation because he is silly. He's playful. He is testing, you know, Luke's patience Mm -hmm. constantly. And so it's really interesting, but he goes into that whole like meditation with the force and, you know, moving up his ship. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's a really interesting thing. And I think that's why, this script is so good because it kind of follows a great structure as well. Oh, that scene where he lifts that X-Wing with the force that always gives me chills. The music, the performance, it's just, it's epic. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. And then there's a lot There's a lot that's established before that it, that mm-hmm. makes it epic, that makes it important. You know, as soon as Luke gets there, his, sink, his ship sinks. And it's saying to him and to the audience, like, you're stuck here until you figure out how to get out. We don't know how he's going to get out. We don't know. We, we look at that ship and we say, oh, it's gone. Like, it's sunken, you know? Like, it's not coming back. Yeah, he's stuck there. <laughs> yeah, he's stuck there. And so we think, oh, he's going to get out in some mystical way. And this this film is filled with, you know, not, not meeting your expectations, sub- subverting your expectations. It's filled with that. Because we think he's gonna find a way to get out of there, like mystically, like he's gonna, he's gonna force teleport or something, you know. Um, but no, he, the ship, pull the ship out of the water. The way that you got here is the way that you're gonna leave. You know, it, it's very like, it teaches the right types of lessons. And there's another thing I wanted to mention with the kind of like going back to Campbellian type stuff because that's I'm like obsessed with it. Um, This part of the journey, like Campbell would probably refer to like as like the sacred grove. It has a lot of parallels with like Druid mythology. And on top of that, you can look at the like, mm, like trickster god type stuff like, uh, you know, Loki or um, like the the spirit, the children spirits or the, the like the trickster spirits that live in the forest and whatnot, fairies and that kind of thing. Because, you know, Yoda is there as a guide, but he's a natural guide. He, he represents nature. So he can be silly, but he can also be serious because nature is unpredictable. 
So it's like teaching Luke various types of lessons right when he needs to learn them, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. Oh, I have a fact that I wrote down that kind of goes to this that I didn't realize until I read it was the only scene all three of them are together is in that hospital room scene. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, he's completely separated. And we have to also give props to Mark Hamill because his performance makes you to feel real, too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, God. I love it. Mark, I had like such a huge uh, crush on him as a kid. Like, oh, same. I wanted to marry Luke Skywalker, and then I realized he was like twenty years older than what he was in the movie, and I was like, and he wasn't real. <laughs> so I had yeah, both those things going for me. Yes. Well, yeah. What's great is that you needed that separation, and it he needed to grow up. He yeah, he needed to go on his separate journey uh, <laughs> to to find his true self, you know, that power within him. Um, Because, you know, with the initiation and a new hope, you only, you're just starting, you know, out. And he's just kind of discovering, but now he has to go on a a quest and a trial before Mm -hmm. he gets that quest. Um, Yeah. I like the time jump. I think it was about, it's two and a half years after a new hope. So some things have changed. And it really establishes, like, off the bat, like, Luke and Han are, are working for the rebels. They're giving it their all. Leia's one of the people in charge. And it established, like, yeah, Han and Leia are still, like, getting bantering. <laughs> and Luke and Han are best friends. Something that we don't talk about a lot, like, on Twitter or the fandom, is that Han and Luke's friendship is very strong. Mm-hmm. Han goes out in the freezing cold just to rescue him. Oh, I know. What a bromance. <laughs> <laughs> It's like it's something that I like didn't consider as much because I'm like always focusing on either and especially in this movie is like, oh, the Han and Leia romance or just Luke being a Jedi Mm -hmm. is like Han talks like a scoundrel, but he acts like a hero. Yeah, he's a reluctant hero. You know, he doesn't want to go save people, but he does. Like, I really feel like from New Hope to this movie, you you see him care. He cares about Luke cares about Leia, but it's nice to see that he cares about Luke a whole lot. Yeah, there's actually, like, um, if you follow just Han's journey, which is something that I was thinking about a lot today while revisiting Empire Strikes Back, that um, his hero's journey takes the, um, like, the the death and resurrection for his hero's journey, which is, like, a big deal, you know, for, it's kind of the, the pinnacle of the hero's journey happens at the end of this film just as like luke's happens at the end of this film because for luke it's the confrontation with his father but like with han it's getting getting frozen in carbonite so he essentially dies and then he's resurrected by leia in the next film so han is actually not complete until he comes out of the carbonite and it makes so much sense because his last thing that he says before he dies symbolically is, I know, like, he (laughs) confirms his love. So, yeah, there's a lot of weird symbolism happening there. Yeah, you're completely right, because I I just watched all three of these, like, back to back. (laughs) And once he's, like, out of the Carbonite, after he's rescued from Jabba, he commits 110% to the cause. Mm -hmm. He's like, I'm a general. Lando, you can have my falcon. 
we're gonna do this Oops. yeah and he's also willing to like give up leia like he's also like saying yes oh i just want her to be happy he's totally different person um i i used to it's <laughs> so funny because i used to look at this like oh han's character is inconsistent in you know uh return of the jedi compared to the other two films but it's purposeful <laughs> It's necessary because that's naturally where his character needed to go after after that part in his journey. He needed to change coming out of the carbonite. Yeah, yeah. it was. It's his he didn't growth. know he was going to live through that. Yeah, there was a high chance. Like we didn't get the Clone Wars episode yet when they used the carbonite, and we didn't know if he was going to live or die. And apparently, one of the reasons Lucas did that was because he knew Harrison wanted to like get out and just in case he refused to come back for the third movie he could just say that he was in carbonite somewhere <laughs> do do we know why he didn't want to come back he's been a grumpy old man his entire life he always I don't know. yeah he always had like a disdain for the star wars brand like he never really liked it from the beginning i think i think that it was it took the fans weird to, that he chose to do it <laughs> yeah and then I, he did Indiana yeah. Jones, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's super weird. Harrison Ford's just, he's a character. He keeps getting in plane crashes, and I'm like, how are you still alive? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, so something I was rewatching, and I keep thinking about, people consider this a plot hole, about the timeline of Luke going to Dagobah and doing training, because it looks like he's been there for a little while, and he's changed a lot. And the Falcon going to just Cloud City and all this stuff. But people bringing up, the Falcon has his hyperdrive <laughs> broken. So it's like using like a sublight speed. And we really don't know how fast that is or how long, yeah, how far away they were. So we just don't like know how long they were time. just floating. Yeah. So they could have been there for weeks or months. Yeah. We don't know. So that works that plot hole. Even though I did not notice it until someone brought it up. Because this movie is so damn good. <laughs> Yeah, I, I never thought about it until somebody somebody brought it up and then I had read someone else say that um, time works differently on Dagobah. So I was like, eh, it's yeah. fantasy, like whatever. <laughs> My issue was that was like, that would mean like Yoda's been like on that planet for like a century or something. <laughs> he should be a lot more crazy then. I mean. No, you still he think he's kind crazy. Of, he was kind of crazy. I mean, I loved it. I was like, when I was sitting <laughs> In the living room, just watching, I was like, Matt Yoda's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like he's when he was so just like funny. mine. And then I was like, <laughs> did he also forget who the droid was? And then. I- oh, yeah, this is what we're talking about in New Hope, how Obi Wan just forgot R2G2. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I, I know it's. They didn't know how far this franchise was going to go. And I'm like, have to remind myself that. But. <laughs> But it's canon that Obi-Wan hates droids, like, for so many yeah. reasons, including that. Like, you can't help but get around that, oh, he doesn't, it's not that he doesn't remember them, it's just that he just doesn't like droids. He doesn't think they're important, yeah. which is kind of sad, since droids have saved his life before. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um. okay, so everyone always talks about special editions, like, and the changes made. There's actually, like, the changes in this movie, I actually kind of like. Like the Wampa scene. Mm. Oh, have you seen like the old footage? Yeah, with the the deleted scenes from that. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I love the scene where <laughs> they're running in the tunnels and there's like a 
there's like a sign on the door. Oh, yeah, like an out of order scene. <laughs> and C-3PO, C-3PO just like tears it down. Yeah. And then a snowtrooper comes through and just gets grabbed. Yeah. They, they apparently were going to have before budgetary things happened, just a bunch of wampas just like walking around. Oh and there's just something the rebels had to deal with it was like an infiltration of like wampas everywhere hilarious yes <laughs> that makes more sense <laughs> but um other than that the scene with dark vader and the emperor because originally the emperor was played by an actress and they superimposed chimpanzee's eyes and then used someone else's voice to make the emperor in the original version wait Ugh. what i didn't know yeah that. it is crazy <laughs> so they redid the whole thing. Ian McDermott, the person who plays the Emperor in pretty much everything else, and James Earl Jones. And I really do like that change because it's just random having this chimpanzee-eyed Emperor in the Strikes Back. It, it makes it less uh, humanized, I guess. I know we have a lot of, you know... I guess, inhuman, like, Sith lords and Jedi. But I think to have an evil mastermind such as the Empire or Emperor uh, be human, it really just recognizes how much power and greed can destroy one person. Yeah, that's I, I was going to say something similar. Like, having him be less human looking, I mean, that's very purposeful. It's saying that, like, they chose to be this way, like, they have distorted themselves to a certain level that they are not they, they don't they no longer recognize their own humanity um which is interesting because you know one of my one of my fun theories is that like you know palpatine could be redeemed i totally think that that is plausible because you can't kill evil evil is just going to keep coming back in different iterations you know and he's you can kill his body, but he's just going to keep coming back because he has before, you know? So, so yeah, like, the only way to actually, the only way to defeat evil is to redeem it and change it and make it human again, basically, especially in Palpatine's case. So, I don't know, it's really interesting. I never heard about the chimpanzee eyes thing, because that's... It's, it's weird. It's, it's just, they like, jumbled, like... There's your chimpanzee eyes. It's an American actress. And then they use a voice of Clive Ravel. Wow. I have to look this up later because I am yeah. fascinated. <laughs> it's just, it's weird. Cool. Um, okay. Well, speaking of being redeemed, <laughs> the lightsaber duel between Luke Skywalker and Vader is my favorite lightsaber duel, but it's not like the best. It's my favorite scene of a lightsaber duel, but it's not my favorite lightsaber duel, if that makes sense. Yes. I actually yeah. have. Yeah. I have a thing about. It's, it's, it's complicated. It is. It's a complicated feeling. Well, because it's more about the setting than it is about the actual duel. And it's about the stuff is pushing Luke back and back and back and deep and deep and deep and deeper into like the what like the Campbellian like belly of the whale the belly of the beast like he's going deeper into the darkness and it's also it's also symbolic of like a maze like a labyrinth where like luke is confronting you know the minotaur uh which is actually just an evil version of himself you know because it's it's his father and from the vision that he's had seen previously so 
it like psychologically is like breaking him more and more and more the deeper he falls down and what does he choose at the end but he chooses not to join the dark part of himself but he chooses to fall further into the dark Mm -hmm. it's very like it's very psychological again it messes with your expectations but it's like yeah this was supposed to be this epic lightsaber battle but it ends up just being about like luke's inner like psychological struggle with like what he could possibly become but i think that's the beauty of it um yeah. You know, that's where the storytelling is golden, you know, of really you in your head, you're thinking, well, of course, he's going to get in because where else does he have to turn to, you mm-hmm. know, and he is being confronted with everything at this point, and especially when he finds, you know, out that this is my dad I'm fighting with. Mm-hmm. And it's not only that finding out he's father it, not only finding out it's his father it's the fact that his mentor somebody he looked up to so much lied yeah. straight to his face straight and his also face. both yoda and obi-wan sent him or were planning on sending him to kill his father yeah it's just so many things must be going through luke's mind in that moment at mm-hmm. once and you're thinking well of course this would be a good turning point from him well they lied to me i know my dad at all right but I think it would that's, be very easy for him to give in yeah but i think that's the power of luke is that he is not blindsided by by anything it's almost like you know leia's moment in new hope where um she sees her whole planet and family blow up in front of her mm-hmm. but she doesn't give in she doesn't give up she doesn't take the easy way out no There's also this element, like, before you actually learn that, like, before you learn, like, what is selflessness and what is selfishness, like, you know, because they represent, like, Luke and Leia, like, represent this, like, growth and whatnot. But there's, what they have instinctively, what makes them different from other heroes is that they believe in themselves from the beginning. Like, Luke and Leia and Han, like, they believe in their own ability to be to survive and like that's very special like i was talking to talking to mc today about a lot of people see the original trilogy characters as gods and then everybody else is like demigods and this is like a weird Hmm. way of like looking at star wars a lot of people hold this belief though If, if they are thinking about the mythology of star wars they think that Han, Luke, and Leia are gods, specifically Luke and Leia. And everyone else are like demigods that act as a result of their actions. So it's very odd, but like they, if you, if you, I like, I don't, I don't want to look at them like that necessarily, but uh, the impact of their actions and like the, you know, the weight that they had for audiences and whatnot, like that's what's important. And the reason for that, I think, is because they had such confidence, you know, like it was not very normal to have that kind of confidence. It was very like, it, it, it secured this idea of like, they're going to be okay and they're going to do what's right. And as an audience member, like you trusted in them to, to do what was right, despite all of the struggles and all of the trauma. 
we were speaking about like character growth and stuff like that. And Leia's like the most consistent character in the whole trilogy. Yeah. She stays. She's like, I'm going to fight in this rebellion. And her whole thing is, I'm going to continue to fight. Mm-hmm. And yes, she does take time away to like rescue Han, but. Her love. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's an interesting character because like with a little bit more massaging, a little bit more, like a little bit more input perspective i think maybe she would have been fleshed out a lot more but god she just she symbolizes so much for so many people i I don't like to even criticize it you know yeah it would have been great to see more i would have loved to see in the movies more of her reaction to finding out vader is her father and i mean we get that in the extending universe but luke gets to go through this journey of finding out the truth and then working through his issues yeah while Leia's just like told us at the end of the last movie, the trilogy, and it's a lot. Yeah, and there's some things like uh, like Carrie Fisher editing her own lines, like being able to give feedback for for her for her stuff and for other stuff in the script as well. That was a big thing that helped provide more of that perspective. And there was also like again going back to Irvin Kirshner, like he worked with a lot of more like indie films he worked with a lot of love stories but but like odd love stories and they tend to revolve around like young people like young families and young lovers so i remember like the iconic scene with han and leia in the cloud city and lucas wanted it to be a very certain thing like he was thinking courtly love courtly love you know and he had this like padme and anakin yeah like what they ended up being oh jesus <laughs> sorry Bree's very against attack of the Ho- attack of the uh, yeah attack of the like, hope, just I don't said. get me started on that <laughs> because i will oh, i hate it so much i'll pick it apart until i i loved it because i loved i like god i was a kid what can i say uh oh, no, we were like preteens or teens like young teens when it came out mm-hmm. and i just cringed for anakin oh and i'm like this is working yeah, and there's something interesting that, like, again, if you if they would have had, uh, like, an Irvin Kirshner on the set for, like, the prequels, it would have hit better. Yeah, this is courtly love, but that's still Han, and that's still Leia, and, like, they have to be themselves. And he, like, got, he got Harrison Ford to, like, improv so many lines on the set. Like, they just got them to, like, talk to each other and like look into each other's eyes and there was some kind of weird form of like intimacy training that was done on set there was some weird form of intimacy training offset we found out too (laughs) (laughs) i mean yes that they had chemistry offset too this is true um, this is true you were mentioning that and i was reading and it was like kirchner and harrison work together to concoct the i know part it wasn't just like harrison saying no he wouldn't say this Mm -hmm. they talked it out and they discussed it and they decided on him not saying i love you too yeah there was that but there was also the previous scene when they were in cloud city and they were having like a moment and it's kind of even now watching it's a little awkward like it lands a little strange but that scene written before kirshner got his you know got his like his hands on hands it, on it, his directorial, uh, directorial uh, style on it, very different, very mm-hmm. very different. And I think there's actually footage of the scene that was shot before they changed it, um, and it was a lot creepier. Because <laughs> Hans being all like, "Come on, princess, come on, princess." Oh gosh. 
Yeah, and that just takes away so much from Leia. The relationship between Han and Leia had Carrie Fisher's input. We know that because she like she changed lines in the script. Like we have that. There's a yin and yang with Han and Leia that's really cool to watch. It's why they chose to go with that couple as opposed to the Luke and Leia relationship, right? Well, oh, yeah, that's that'd a be kid. more got, wouldn't that? <laughs> oh, Game of Thrones. Oh. Well, the thing is, like, they didn't decide Leia was going to be his sister. No, I know. I was just. They wouldn't have had those two kisses in this movie if they knew that. No, I know. I was just making the joke. I know. You were making a joke. <laughs> but I was like, I need that little reference. Yes. Honestly, as a kid in A New Hope, I just assumed Luke and Leia were going to get together because that's what usually happens. And the great thing about this movie is that, yes, kids can watch it and they can see the heroes lose. Yeah. And that just was like mind blowing for me because I wasn't used to seeing that at all. Oh, yeah. So they they lose at Hoth. They lose Han. Yeah. Luke loses his hand. (laughs) He loses his innocence, really. Oh, yeah. When Vader... It just, yeah. Well, he also confronted the ultimate power to him, which is the father figure. Mm-hmm. It's very also Campbell-esque. But what's great is after he falls into the dark uh, and he calls for Leia, and that's kind of when we f- first see the forces with her as well. Yeah. There's that connection between them. Yeah, you could argue yeah. that maybe Luke could call out to anybody, really. But I do, since we know she wasn't supposed to be a Skywalker yet. But I do like the idea that, no, this is a hint she has the Force. And she I'm can. hoping it it's the hint. I know it's not. I'm taking but. it as a hint. Just like how we took like them being worried about Luke being too much like his father, even though they didn't plan he was going to be Vader yet. It's because of Vader. Yeah. And and also when Yoda says there is another, hoping that is Leia as well. Yeah, that does happen in the same film. Yeah, I'm not sure oh, what the plan it happens was. right before. So like yeah. when he leaves and Ben's like, what if he falls or whatever? And Yoda says there is another, and then after he falls and calls out to Leia, it's kind of that spark of like the forces with her as well. I mean, I know it's unintentional, but it kind of beautifully sinks to be that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and again, I'm going to bring up this book I brought up in our New Hope episode, which is a book about different characters and different points of a New Hope. And after, like, at the very end of the book, the point of view is of Yoda. And Yoda's mad at Obi-Wan for wanting to send Luke to him because he wanted to train Leia. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's canon now. You would have the patience. That's for sure. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but I I don't know. Leia does have a temper. I think she would be like, okay, well, who is this guy? Let me figure it out instead of him going, when are we going to get to Yoda? <laughs> when are we going to get to Yoda? Mm-hmm. I got to get to that book eventually because I've been like, I, I toy with some of the stories, but I haven't delved into it fully. The audiobook is really great. Oh, good. Good, good, good. Yeah, I love it. so I, I highly suggest the audiobook. I was listening to it while I was like doing my scrub down nice cleaning as i was doing oh something that was really cute also in there that the blanket he uses is actually qui-gon jen's robe (laughs) oh which i think is so cute little brown blanket yeah it would have been so interesting there is a marvel comic it's a what if series and they have an empire version it's what if luke skywalker died on ha like han didn't find him in time (laughs) oh Yeah, so Luke tells Han to go to Dagobah. And Han goes to Dagobah and he's like, yeah, okay, I'm here to be a Jedi. 
And Yoda's like, what? No, I want her. Well, it is interesting because isn't the whole, and correct me if I'm wrong, because sometimes I am very (laughs) off. Not everyone is supposed to be able to use the lightsaber, right? And Everyone has a force, but not everybody can use it. Because he slashes the creature with the lightsaber. Han does. So, like, a part of me cocked my head at that. And I was like, wait a moment. People have theories that the reason, one of the reasons Han is such a great flyer is because he has a force. But that's just theories. And I prefer that he doesn't. So we have a hero in these movies that doesn't have the force. And in the extended universe, in Rebels and Clone Wars, we see multiple characters, Mandalorians, have a lightsaber. Remember the end of the Mandalorian, Brie? Yes. Do you think he has a force? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I get confused with everything. I think you literally just have to turn the the switch on. But I also think that... It's just very complicated to use it if you don't have the force because, like, if you mess up, you can, you know, kill yourself kind of thing. So I think it's just yeah. like that. Even though yeah. I do love the theory that Finn does have the force. So <laughs> because he's, like, one of the only other people who uses the lightsaber. Finn? Finn, yeah. yeah. Well, I was, yeah. I thought it was going to be Finn, but that's a whole other thing. That's whole- well, that was a whole thing. That's a whole thing about <laughs> Force Awakens, and we'll get there. But, yeah, I mean, Sabine Wren, who's my favorite Star Wars character, because not just because she's played by an Indian actress. I'm half Indian, so I'm like, yes, please, yeah. let me have representation. <laughs> but <laughs> she's just a great character. She's an artist, rebel, everything like that. And she learns from a Jedi Knight, and he says that she is not connected to the Force. She's just so shut down from everything. But she still learns how to fight. Yeah. And fight well. And she'll use, she uses a Darksaber, and she also uses Ezra's lightsaber as well. So. Mm. Yeah, she's cool. That was, like, the amazing thing about all the new stuff. is like, yeah, Leia was a great role model, but she was the only female role model we had. And now we just have so many, and I am just was, like, so excited to finally, like, get a character that possibly could be, have the same background as me. And... I wish that I had that when I was younger. Yeah. Yeah, totally makes sense. I really thought, like, Leia was only, like, girl in the galaxy for a while. <laughs> she Everyone was. Everyone acts like that. <laughs> it's like Luke in the next one is like, Leia's my sister. And it's like, I did this one-act play, which was all the Star Wars movies in one hour. And our joke is, well, yeah, she's the only girl in these movies. <laughs> oh. Um, I mean, did anyone get a sense that, like, basically any time the Imperial was on your screen, it's like, oh, it's like just a giant country club? Well, Kishner wanted to make sure the Rebels had American accents and the Imperials had British. (laughs) He's the one who did that. Because if you look at our New Hope, plenty of Imperials have American accents, too. Which I I agree. I think they... Each side. The should. British are evil. Is that what you're saying? Bri? What? No, no, no. I was, I was agreeing <laughs> with the New Hope. <laughs> I think you should mix the accents between any up. side because anyone can be evil. Well, in extended universe, like what Obi Wan has and what some of the other people have are like called like inner world accents. So the British is like what like Coruscant people have and stuff like that. They say. <laughs> I love how much like. The EU was trying to make sense of so many things. Oh, <laughs> it's like, what's so insane with any scene? And you see a character, that person has 10 pages on Wikipedia. Yeah. 
about their history, their parents, what planet they lived on, you know? Oh, yeah. It has everything. So everyone has a story, which is amazing. Yeah. It's funny. That's what, like, um, y'all know that new show, the Jedi Temple Run thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We joke that. I'm like, (laughs) yes. Bree said that if she saw the dark side, she would just abandon me. I I never said I would be tempted, of course, by it. You would leave me in a heartbeat. Well, uh, here's the thing. I would just want to go... Go Get check the it out. Red lightsaber and then betray the dark side. <laughs> but no, you see, you would try to do that, but you would become part of the dark side and you'd be like, sorry, Candace, I'm leaving you for the dark side. Bye. No, I would just my nightmare per- boy. I would I would get my way out. She loves her nightmare boys. Oh yes. I, I can Me relate. <laughs> okay, good. Another one. Ha ha. I can't wait to go through the the sequel trilogy with Brie and her love of Kylo Ren. Oh, yeah. I, My love of Kylo is when we met him at Disney. Oh, I hope you aw. know that's what started it. I know that's what started it. She liked that he told her what to do. <laughs> but yeah, no, this, I don't know. This movie is just, I'm not going to say it's perfect, but it's perfect to me. I think it's, you know, I think it's perfect in... In context, right? Yeah. I think it's a perfect film for what it was trying to do and what it was trying to convey. And and not only the, what it was trying to do, but what it accidentally did. Because there's a lot of stuff in this that, like, happened by chance or by luck or, you know, just by, like, the perfect synthes- synthesis of people and ideas and imagination and that doesn't happen all the time with movies. Like, there are a lot of, like, critically acclaimed movies that came together because the right people made the right decisions. But that's not what happened here. It's just kind of, like, almost a... I wouldn't say... I don't want to say it's all accident. But, you know, a lot of the magic happened, sort of. It wasn't planned. Yeah, it wasn't By just, accident. like, one person. That's what we always talk about is, like... Yeah, George Lucas is great. He's an amazing world builder. But he's also really good at picking the right people to work with. Yes. So even Kushner was actually his professor at UCF. Mm -hmm. And he trusted. And the thing is, George also just trusted people. He knew who was talented and he let them do what they do. Yeah. And he was going through like a lot of really hard stuff at the time, I think, when Empire Strikes Back was made because... I think this was the time when his wife, his first wife, was, like, going to leave him, and he was dealing with trying to get her to edit the film, but she didn't want to edit it. She wanted to edit a Martin Scorsese film, because she was kind of seeing Martin Scorsese. Like, there was some really weird stuff going on with Lucas during this time. And it's so weird, like, how well this movie turned out. Yeah, it is. It's just... Because I think, you know, it's honestly... A little more relatable you're once you have the initiation of a new hope you're in this now you feel like you're in this battle and it's dealing with a lot of just human nature you know of thinking of giving up hope and bouncing back and you know yeah I thought Luke was an idiot for trying to help Luke and Leia instead of just saying on Dagobah and now rewatching it, I was like, oh no, I would have gone as well. Yeah. A big part of this film is like ambivalence. Like it, it's so, 
it doesn't as in like the meta of the meta message is like you don't always have everything figured out like you are not always going to be like the strongest or the smartest or the wisest you can't figure all that out like you just have to do what's right in the time you know the time that is given to you if you want to go like lord of the rings with it but you know it goes to the whole also the um I don't know if you guys are familiar with like Avatar the Last Airbender. Uh but in in I'm actually just watching that now. Oh, really? Okay. So, yeah, just getting on Netflix. It's like, okay, well, we need to watch this cuz it's amazing and apparently like Dave Filoni worked on yeah. it too and I like love everything Dave Filoni does. Yeah. Oh god, you're in for a treat. Um, <laughs> I can't wait. So, I've seen it so so many times, so many times. But the uh there is a scene where Aang refuses to go through the rest of his training to connect with, like, the many spirits that are inside of him, you know, his avatar nature and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And he chooses to go save his friends instead. And you cannot tell me that that was not inspired by Star Wars, you know? And what Aang does later is he eventually figures it out on his own without his teacher and he goes into that state on his own of his own volition because he realizes that in order to actually save them he really does have to finish that training so it's interesting to like see it happen in star wars but the the film ends on this again it ends in this like ambivalent type of thing it's like we don't really know what the answers are and Luke didn't get all the answers from Yoda. In fact, he went against what Yoda told him to do. And he... Yeah, both Ben said, no, don't go. Yeah, and... and They said he wasn't ready. Because it's really all about finding your own path, but the path is not going to be clear because the story is not over yet. And it's not even going to be clear when the story is over because, like, why should it be? Like, there's... It's it's Luke's path, it's Leia's path, it's Han's path, you know, everybody has to find their own path. And that's the point. And that's why like the story never really felt like it was over. That's why it always felt like it needed to go back and like continue those journeys. But at the same time, like if you just want to watch the original trilogy, like everything is there. Like everything that you need to learn if you want to come come uh, to it with like a mythological lens, if you want to come to it with like you know, kind of like a self-help guide type of thing to figure out, like, what's going on inside of me? Like, what do I need to figure out about myself? Like, it's all there, especially in especially in Empire Strikes Back. It's, like, condensed right there. You're not going to have all the answers at the end of this. You're going to succeed in things, you're going to fail at things, and you're still not going to have all the answers. It's not that simple. And, yeah, you're going back, like, that ending, there's some hope to it. Where Lando and Chewie are like, oh, we're, we're going to go find Han. And Luke gets a new hand. But there's just, like, also realizing heroes can lose. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great thing for kids to learn. And also, it makes their success in Return of the Jedi so much bigger and better. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the whole thing. It's just not about giving in and keeping up your hope and your faith and allowing yourself to just never stop trying even though all you have is hope right because like that's kind of Mm -hmm. the the bummer (laughs) like well exactly like you're you don't 
it doesn't look great, but it, you know, it doesn't look great for you, but you're that's not going to stop you at the same time. Can you guys imagine having to wait three years to find out if Vader was telling the truth about being his father? Oh, God. <laughs> and what happened to Han? Like, I cannot imagine. Like, I bet there, well, there were a bunch of people who thought like Vader was just lying to distract Luke or to get him to join him. Mm-hmm. And even James Earl Jones didn't believe it until he did the lines for Return of the Jedi. (laughs) Yeah, that would be hard. I remember reading, like, forum posts from when the prequel trilogy was coming out, and people were guessing what the Clone Wars actually was. And they were saying, like, like one of the biggest theories was, I guess, Obi-Wan having a clone. Like, the Clone Wars was actually, like, all the Jedi being cloned, (laughs) and the Jedi would have to fight against their clones. Um that sounds kind of right. Cool. <laughs> so cool, but uh, but of course that's not what happened, and you know that's the side effect of being involved in fandom is that you sometimes think about these things longer than the people who are creating them are thinking about them. Um, it doesn't make your theories better, but it, you thought about them longer. <laughs> you thought about the implications yeah. longer, you know. Okay, so. Ty, Brie and I have been ranking all the movies that we have done so far. So, <laughs> Brie, I think I'm just going to circumvent you and say this is number one. Um, No, I, I I would actually agree with that. Oh, okay. Because, I mean, the original A New Hope is solid. It's a great movie. It it's is. It's my number two favorite movie. No, it's good. I mean, Rogue One is still up there for me. Yeah, she, the, she first saw Rogue One while we were doing this, and she just loves it. Yeah, I love it. It's <laughs> really good. Really, really it's good. It's a good movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, Empire Strikes Back just has the, a certain je ne sais quoi about it. <laughs> Can I just say, like, it's more than just that? Because, like, it's also the, the symbolism. Because if it was just character driven, it would be great, but it wouldn't, like, resonate as well. Mm-hmm. So seeing the way that the characters interact with each other and with the world around them and. You know, like when Han and Leia go into the worm, like the Exegoth or whatever it's called. Um, (laughs) The worm thing. Yeah, the asteroid worm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like they they fight off the little things inside of there. But that's not the big deal. The big deal is like they went into the belly of the whale and like, you know, they're. Yeah, well, I think that goes without saying because the whole trilogy is you know, based off Joseph Campbell, A Hero's Journey. And, and it is what gives the trilogy its beautiful storytelling. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely correct in that. You know, it's just what derives it. And what the good thing is, it's not just that. It does have those extra layers, which I think you need, which what makes it a really great film. But yeah, I would argue that Empire has more symbolism than the other two. Yeah, I think that's, that's basically what I'm saying, because like, yeah. It, uh, thinking about it a new hope has like a lot of symbolism there well that's yeah but that's the initiation the for initi- the hero's journey which is a whole separate thing but now you're getting into the final line so in any hero's journey the second part is going to have more than the first one because the first one's introducing you to everything and mm-hmm. it's the initial spark of the of the journey that you say so yeah like, it's more literal and yeah. and then like in the second phase in this phase this is like like the bottom part of that wheel it's like way more symbolic uh yeah that's it's so funny because like 
a few years ago, I had this funny theory I was like posting everywhere on like social media. I'm like, the second film in any trilogy is the best one, period. <laughs> fight me. <laughs> and Brie will fight you about Attack of the Clones. <laughs> Attack of the I Clones. I will fight you with that one only just because it's just poorly written. I love Attack of the Clones and I love like oh. the second like Pirates of the Caribbean movie and the second like Spider-Man movie, like the original live action. Second Spider-Man movie. Right, yes. right. But but no one else would agree no. with me on any others. I understand. I understand. Well, no, yeah, Shrek yeah. 2. Right? Definitely, Shrek 2? Like, honestly, is <laughs> the best. so good. <laughs> it was so weird. Wait, Shrek 2. It's by far the best Shrek yeah, movie. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's the one. Yeah. Well, and you also can't really, I can't, I don't know if you can really classify that one as a trilogy, but. Yeah, there's too many. But And also like Lord of the Rings, like the Two Towers is really amazing, but. But I digress. Uh, you know the, the the second part, and you're right, Brie. Like the second part of a, tri- a trilogy, a three part story, is where there has to be more symbols because, like, it has to resonate with people on a psycho in a psychological way because it's all about the trials and it's all about it is yeah. Well, it's that quest. It you're you're having now. You're thrown into it. Mm-hmm. You know. Now it's your time to figure out bits and pieces. It's almost like chess. You know, you first have that initial initiation. So like the first movie is that first step that you're going to make. But then um, the second movie is like, you know, steps two through ten, you know, all clumped to one. So you're going on a vast amount of time. So it feels stronger. It feels deeper to you. It means more, especially when you get to the climax of the film. And um, there's one thing that we haven't said yet, and it's the line, no, I am your father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a what about Luke, it? I am your father. Yeah. Yeah, it's the most misquoted line <laughs> yeah. in all of movie history. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny, because like, my dad used to like kind of uh, joke with me, and he would always say, Ty... I am your father. <laughs> like, just randomly. So it's like one of the only things that stuck with me about, from Star Wars for so long. So, 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 so long. What's the, wait, but what's the actual, like, misquoted part, though? Well, he says, Luke, you, Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. And Luke goes, he told me you killed him. And Vader no. goes, no, no, I am yeah, your father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I can just... Pull that out of my yeah, brain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's all there, guys. It's all there. This is like, this is a movie that like I watch like when traumatic things happen to me as a child. Yeah. It's, it's always, it makes me feel safe. It makes me feel hopeful. It, especially like these horrible things happen in Luke and Leia, but they're still fighting. So that's all my whole thing was like, if they can do it. I can do it. As yeah. Yeah. Totally. So I'm not going to lie. I didn't like The Last Jedi the first time I saw it. <laughs> but then after I saw it again, I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, The Last Jedi is is what called to me. <laughs> it's what pulled me back it's in. It's going to be interesting to discuss. Oh, that's great. I'm excited for y'all's talk on that. That sounds really interesting. The thing is, like, people, like, complain, oh, sequels. They say this, the prequels ruin mm-hmm. Star Wars. The sequels ruin no, Star Wars. No, that's not true. No. Nothing is going to take away anything from this movie yeah. for me. This movie, yes, it was my childhood. And nothing is going to take that away from it. This movie exists. It's Empire Strikes Back is 
a beautiful movie. Nothing changes that. And it doesn't matter what cartoons are made. <laughs> what? Oh, God. That's a whole nother thing, Brie. All right. Well, it's, I think on like, conclusion, people are idiots. <laughs> and uh, Star Wars is, is good. I don't know. I don't know. I just... <laughs> Yeah. Star Wars, Star Wars is, some Star Wars is good, some Star Wars is bad. There's nothing wrong with people liking different but things. The, yeah, I was about to say, the beauty is we all have different opinions, and one day I'm going to ask you why you actually like Attack of the Clones, and I'll listen. <laughs> I'll sit back and I'll listen to all the reasons you like it. <laughs> I, I think we might need to let her, like, have it, because she, she has nostalgia glasses spree. She was younger than I, I, I was. I was like 10. <laughs> I was like 10 or 11. We're not that like <laughs> we far off in age. We were sassy little or like we were like 14 or something. <laughs> and we were sassy and we were cynical and boys were stupid. I, I have to say. It's not just boys are stupid. It's literally just the script. And the yes. Okay, Brie, no, Brie, okay. Every episode is Brie somehow bringing it up how much she hates it. I love You're it. welcome. And I refuse to laugh. And also she went to Star Wars Celebration as a kid. She brings that <laughs> up as well. I went to Disney's thing and I got my picture with Luke Skywalker. I thought it was cool. Oh, that's great. It, every episode. I don't know if I'm going to cut this stuff out I, or not. Feel free to decided. use anything. I, uh, I, I definitely <laughs> was a hopeless romantic throughout most of my childhood so i'll, I'll just oh, you know i'll no. chalk it up to that i loved love stories i still love love stories you know that's kind of like what i hang my hat on See, so i had just gotten through middle school and boys were stupid <laughs> and gross and trying to flirt and i was like what i never is thought this? boys were stupid or gross i was so oh, hopeless no. i was hopeless i i oh, thought no. i was the guys cooler, were like but i thought they were cute <laughs> <laughs> Guys, this was a very fun conversation. This yes, was. Thank you so much. It went off the rails a little bit. But um, Ty, can you tell us where we can find your Yeah, stuff? yeah. You can find me on Twitter at black underscore T-Y-M. And you can also find me on my other Twitter account uh, for my YouTube channel at wit underscore folly. And you can also find me on YouTube at wit and folly. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk yeah, it with was, us. Yeah, it was really fun. Thank I'm Candace. I'm Bree. I'm Ty. Stay geeky.